What's up, everybody? Before we get the podcast started, I just wanted to remind you that we have merch for sale, official podcast merch. You can go to the link in the description of this very podcast and go to our Teespring account and get a shirt, two coffee mugs, and a COVID-19 custom mask with our logo on it, because why not milk this pandemic for all it's worth financially? So uh, again, the description to our merch is in the description of this podcast. On to the show. What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode number 213 of Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries for Saturday, February 6, 2021. We're already in fucking February of this new year, and... Uh, that I, means it's almost Valentine's Day. Oh, yay. Does any, My bloody Valentine Day. Does any, like, adult actively give a shit about Valentine's Day? Like, you know, it depends. If you're dating, you know... But even but even then, like, it's yes. it's so like contrived of a of a holiday. Yeah. It's just like yeah. you know, I'm sure there was a Saint Valentine, and there's some stupid story behind it. But uh, I don't know. I'm going with the old hacky thing that the cynics say about it. Like, oh, it's a holiday invented by the uh, card co- the card companies, like uh, uh, Hallmark and all that. I I I kind of I kind of believe that. That's the real deal with that. I never gave a shit about Valentine's Day. I think I might have celebrated it once when I was dating someone. I, I just remember the only time I've ever celebrated Valentine's Day is when I was in elementary school. Yeah. You had the whole, you know, give somebody a Valentine or whatever. D- yeah, I but think... It was, it was, that was extra cruel, though, for us lonely, shy kids. We didn't get shit, except, like, the boxes of candy that everybody got. You know, you didn't have no secret admirer, didn't have no Valentine. Then you have the embarrassing thing of giving a girl that, like, you, uh, you know, might have a crush on a Valentine, and then, you know, they might refuse it. Yeah, at my school, I remember, uh, I think they, <laughs> they gave, I think, like, everybody got, it was almost like a participation trophy. Everybody got yeah. a Valentine's card from everyone, and, and so yeah. you ended up with, like, 20 something different yeah, now that reminds me of i had i had one i had a year like that too yeah but i do remember that you could buy like uh candy grams for yes. someone it like and you could uh actually they had a, a singing uh one that the choir or the whatever the the 
high school choir or whatever they would come oh. and and uh, voices and praise is what they were called and they were oh, okay they were supposed to be like the badasses i was thinking like a card like where some you know the choir sang into like an electronic chip no no, no. they know, would they like they would it, they would know? literally come into the classroom like during class and everyone would stop and they'd be like all right we have a singing telegram or whatever the fuck oh for my god whoever that is so late <laughs> yeah it was weird like i forgot about that until just now like <laughs> <laughs> just just be like happy valentine's day <laughs> needless to say from uh anyone who's been listening to my josh flower diaries on here nobody was uh buying me any of that shit when i was in junior high or high school so no. uh, i i just bought my own chocolate and ate it to myself as a little fat kid after school like that's fine girls suck anyway i'm going to eat my feelings <laughs> I think if I had yeah. stayed on that course, I would have definitely been been one of those MGTOW guys later in my oh, life. Oh God, <laughs> yeah. Then you would, and would you be on my four hundred pound life? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'd be all like, you know, women are evil. They're part of the conspiracy to blood of the boost. Oh, Stefan Molyneux, and he's my god, <laughs> and all that shit. Anyway, how you doing, Mike? Uh, I'm doing okay. Um, Isn't isn't there some uh, fuckery going on with your job? Yeah, I'm not feeling very appreciated at work. I'm not going to really uh, divulge too much of the juicy details. Um, Wow, that's what uh, people give a shit about is the details. I know, but in this this instance, it's probably a good idea to keep it uh, close to the vest. That being said, uh, I'll be as vague as I possibly can be. I'll just say uh, there is something going on. And I'm taking steps to uh, try to uh, make things better. And uh, so uh, are some of my coworkers. So, yeah. You're not uh, getting bullied, are you, Mike? No, it's, it's not anything like that. It's, it has to do with my hours. And uh, there, there's something really screwy going on uh, with, the, with, with the, how that is... Uh, being handled someone's playing um, favorites yeah kinda uh it, it's a little worse than that actually uh but he's um, banging the chick who's who he's given the most hours to that's what it is <laughs> no 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 uh, it that that would be bad because uh um I think uh, the, the girl might be underage, and he's like an older guy. So, oh, okay. I didn't even know there was no. a girl in this story. I just, I guess, yeah. I guess I guessed it right on the right on the nose there. <laughs> I'm just so used to how these things go down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm dealing with that. It sucks, you know. Job I used to you, talk about yeah, on here to... as uh, being, you know. A really nice job it's just not the same and you know we'll see what happens i've already filled out some applications for some other places waiting to see if i get a call back or an interview or anything we were sent a bunch of material from one of our listeners robin um and he's from australia and he sent us a couple of dvds that thankfully were region free, so I was able to watch them. Um, uh-huh. And they sent us a, a flash drive with some other Australia related stuff. So, blimey, you're going to learn a little bit about Australia. That was probably an awful Australian accent. I need to get on the ball with that. 
because if I'm going to be talking about Australia, then I need to be uh, talking like an Australian. Sorry if this is just offending people left and right right now. Um, I would. Uh, I'm not even going to try to do an impression because I know it probably sound like John F. Kennedy and just be awful. Uh, so, you can, no can, can you even give me a good die? <laughs> A good eye, mate. I don't even want to go there. <laughs> It'll just be so bad that, yeah, I, I, we've already butchered the uh, the Australian accent and dialect enough as it is. Don't need to throw my hat into the ring or my shrimp onto the Barbie, so to speak. Oh, don't be. This is a family podcast, Mike. Don't be talking about throwing your shrimp on any kind of hot surface. Keep that in your <laughs> pants, boy. But uh, yeah, no, um, we saw the movie uh, Snowtown, which is a Australian film about um, one of the, the most... Snowtown murders. Yeah, one of the most infamous serial killers in Australian history. Yep. Uh, this is a 2011 film. It was directed by Justin Kurzel. It features a script by Sean Grant, and it's based on uh, the true story of uh, the infamous serial killer uh i think it was a uh, bunting john, john bunting. bunting and uh, before we uh, talk about uh what we thought about the film uh, we're just gonna go through uh, a plot synopsis and spoilers for anybody who hasn't seen the film sorry uh so in the poor adelaide suburb of salisbury north 16 year old jamie played by lucas pitaway Lives with his distressed mother, Elizabeth Harvey. Uh, this character was uh, portrayed by Louis, Louise Harris. And his brothers, including Troy, Anthony Groves, who rapes Jamie. Yeah, that whole scene was uh, really shocking because it was definitely unexpected. Jamie's just sitting down watching, I think, a soccer game or, or cricket or... or uh, Maybe maybe it was a uh, could have could have been golf. The game doesn't matter, Mike. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't matter. But uh it really doesn't. And then here comes Troy, his older brother, and he just rapes him in the ass. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, he starts off like he's like he starts kind of slapping him around trying to get him going like they're going to play fight and then he just like fucking tackles him to the, I mean, it was a pretty fucking like explicit scene. Though. I was yes. just like, "God damn, bro." Yeah. Like, Jesus Christ. And uh one day his mother's boyfriend takes indecent photographs of the boys. That was also uh really shocking. Uh cuz it throws you for a loop there's a lot of things in this film that are uh like blunt hammers to the face yes but well, i think that's necessary with this kind of subject matter it, it uh, provides it even more gravity and so this whole stuff with the, the boyfriend like i didn't see it coming i like how they set it up where he seems like a decent bloke you know oh very uh, uh apropos bloke and uh, then all of a sudden the kids are standing in front of a wall and they're naked and they're doing poses and the guy's taking photographs and then 
you actually see him naked walking into the kitchen, which that's a sight nobody needs to see. This this fucking guy, just butt naked and nothing but his birthday suit. This old fucking middle aged nasty looking dude. Yeah, and uh, yeah, uh, he takes these indecent photographs. The police are reluctant to intervene for some reason. Uh. And I, I guess at, at this point, uh, Elizabeth is then contacted by Barry, who is uh, played by Richard Green, which is a gay cross-dressing man who introduces her to John, John Bunting, played by Daniel Hensall. Uh, I gotta say this, out of all of the performances in this film, I mean, uh, Louise Harris did a good job as a mother, um, but Daniel Hensall as John Bunting was absolutely amazing in this. Yes. He was really good. Very hateable kind of guy. Yeah. He, he just, he really nailed the sociopathic aspects of this real life personality. And uh, you could see why people would be drawn to him and want to follow him. But at the same time, once you get to really see what's going on inside his head and when you see all the screws that are loose, it was genuinely uh, intimidating and scary, despite his unassuming presence, you know, in terms of, like, how he looked. Oh, he's very unassuming. He looked, he, he looks like he's, like, someone's, like, you know, older brother, youth pastor guy. He's yeah. kind of doughy, kind of yeah. looks like a, a grown man baby. <laughs> like... He doesn't. Yeah. He does, does not. Uh, it ha- well, at least the actor who portrayed him uh, does not have a very intimidating presence. Pre- presence, presence. But uh, his uh, personality, well, he, though, and how he carries himself yeah. is is what really establishes. Ultimately, it does become intimidating, despite yeah. the fact that on the outside he's just do- he's got this doughy dad bod. Right, and that just shows you that a lot of intimidation is not necessarily due to physical features. So he becomes a part of their lives, and he starts uh, dating Elizabeth. He uh, despises pedophiles and homosexuals. He continually harasses the boyfriend by throwing kangaroo blood and body parts uh, on his front porch. And they he does this other thing where uh, they use like ice cream cones and they like paint like uh, slurs on the windows. Yeah, um, I thought it was so stereotypically Australian that they were cutting up kangaroos <laughs> and throwing the yeah. kangaroo blood. It looked like they actually it was real kangaroo. Yeah, yeah, it looked real. Yeah. Yeah, I, so, I guess I guess kangaroo are, are as prolific in Australia as like deer are here. Yeah, they're really common. Yeah. So John then begins to assume the role of Jamie's father figure, as well as the father figure of all of the other boys. But he really starts to uh, build this relationship with uh, Jamie. Uh, Barry tells John the names and addresses of pedophiles in the area. Uh, this scene, I think it was intentionally trying to be somewhat comical. You know, when Barry's listing all these pedophiles and the guy's like, hey, wait, 
stop. I need to, and it was just listening to all these weird names, like the frog. It's because, like, you think, like, I, I never really thought that, you know, these type of characters, these type of people would have nicknames, like they're gangsters from, you know, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, like, uh, Billy, uh, Melted Milk Duds McNally. <laughs> he, he likes yeah, to, no. he likes to use milk duds as his candy of choice to lure kids. Like, you know, like, that would be kind of funny if they had those nicknames yeah. like that. So John then creates a wall with pictures and details about each pedophile, including notes saying things like, I'm coming for you. And, uh, yeah, when you see his wall, you're like, okay, this guy is, he's, he, I already was assuming he's not all there from his conversations at dinner where, uh, Elizabeth will have her friends over. And I think John also has his friends over and they're all talking about all these various different ways that they're going to fuck up or kill local pedophiles. And he just takes a little bit too much. I think one of them was talking about st- sticking a wa- like lighting a water resistant match and sticking up yeah. their dick hole. I'm like, oh, yeah. yeah. As someone who was tested for, I think it was chlamydia or something, the old fashioned way before they were like, oh, oh now you damn. can. Yeah. So I've I've been tested for STDs, as should anyone who is sexually active, um, just as a maintenance thing. Um before they had the method where you can just pee in a cup for them to tell, they used to have to stick a Q tip up your wiener hole. Oof. And Oof. it's every bit of uh as painful. Oh god, I'm, I'm squirming right now. Just, oh, just it hurts. About that. Oh it hurts. And and, and and after it's done, it stings to pee like a day, oh, at least like fuck. a day after. Yeah. So when I heard that whole match scenario, I was like, ooh, I bet personally experienced something being done there and it's not uh i can't imagine getting a cath anyway cath there i just don't want to think about that yeah 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 so uh jamie then finds himself slowly drawn into john's homophobic and violent tendencies unable to escape his charismatic and intimidating dominance on one occasion john aware that jamie is being raped by his brother troy wants jamie to stand up for himself and in pursuit of this, gives him a gun and has Jamie shoot his dog. That, that was, was a very fucked tense up, scene. man. Ugh. It really was. Like I, I, any any like scenes in movies where like animals are harmed, I, I'm like instantly like, uh, uh-uh, I don't like that. But I will say this with this scene, it seems a little uh, weird in terms of continuity because after he shoots the dog, there were scenes afterwards where the dog is back, and I'm like, did he get another dog? Is the dog fine? Like. What was that about? I, I and it wasn't established that it was a flashback either. It was right. just uh, a, a few months later where uh, John and Jamie's hair had started to grow back because uh, I guess he has this initiation thing where he will like shave his head and then he'll shave other people's heads that are a part of his cult because it might as well be a cult, right? Yeah, I don't know about the so, dog scene. I just, I know, I know, I didn't like it. Yeah, I, I didn't like it either. John, meanwhile, influences the rest of the neighborhood with his extremely homophobic views. Separates Barry from his younger boyfriend uh, Robert. Uh, only Troy seems to dislike John. Barry soon disappears, leaving behind only an answering machine message saying that he's going to Queensland. 
John brings Jamie in as a neophyte member of his small team who bury men. Yeah, they're vigilantes. They go around and they find these pedophiles and these people who they think are dement- demented and uh, uh, really awful people. And uh, they kill them in awful fashion. They mm. torture and maim and strangle and beat them to death. And he makes them, before he kills them, he makes them record a voice message saying how they're mysteriously leaving town and don't try to call them and blah, blah, blah. And then he mm-hmm. and he kills them and then the message uh, somehow gets... And he does this really fucked up shit, too, where he he brainwashes them to the point because of all this abuse that before he, you know, delivers the final blow, he'll say, you know, you know, uh, do you want to be cured? You know, that kind of thing. Because the only way to cure, you know, these people of their affliction is to kill them. I mean, there's there's this really intense and horrific torture scene where Troy is being tortured by uh, Robert and um, uh, John. And uh, it was especially triggering for me because there's a scene where uh, they take a pair of pliers and they rip his fucking toenail off. Oh, God. Mike only wished that could have happened to him when he had his ingrown toenail. Well, no, not really, because uh, that would be no (laughs) painkillers. They took the needle and, you know, I didn't feel it was it just felt weird. Like that was even, you know, I can only, I, I mean, that would have been way worse because it would have just been no painkillers, just rip the fucking thing out. Uh, but it, it did trigger me because it reminded me of, you know, took, I had an entire toenail removed. Mike has a very personal uh, connection to toes. <laughs> that would be like if John Bunting had uh, beaten and tortured a possum in this movie, that would have hit close yeah. to home in my world. Yeah. So, uh, but the the scene's also really uh, brutal in other ways. Uh, just uh, Troy's beat up and battered face, and then they're t- strangling him, and then this whole thing where, okay, do you want to be cured? And he's like, yes. And then he 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 just delays it, like he chokes him, and then stops, and then he'll choke him again, and then he'll stop. Like he's not committing to it's it. It's like he's it's purpose. like he's getting some sick pleasure out of it or something. It was really yeah. it was really hard to watch that scene. It was. Like and and by this point Troy's face is all fucked up and yeah. uh it just, it's just like god, I feel like I'm watching a snuff film almost. Yeah. Like Yeah, it did kind of remind me of this fake snuff film that I saw called August Underground. Uh, it was really it was definitely a rough watch. And then eventually Jamie is just like, no, you know, he just grabs, get, he just grabs the rope or the whatever it was. And he's like, just kill him already, you know, like end his yeah, suffering. He put him out of his fucking to do, Yeah, he just decides to do it himself. Um, and also before this, uh, they killed his friend, too. He had a friend of his who lived in a trailer who was a junkie. I think it's insinuated that he uh, would flash people. 
or something like that. Yeah, I, I didn't quite the first dead body they show in the movie in the that shed. I didn't I yeah. didn't know who that person was, and Jamie's freaking out. I was like, that was my best friend. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it was the guy that he was uh, smoking, you know, doobies or not doobies. He was sm- he was d- doing a uh, doing a bong with in the couch in the ditch. Oh, I don't remember that part, but whatever. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of weird that like why would I get? I mean, eventually he kills Barry, which is that's how he met. That's how Elizabeth, the mom, met john was through barry and then yeah. i guess john at some point just decides to turn yep. against him as well yep uh, uh he vis- his drug addicted best friend is named gavin john doesn't like him uh later one night john and robert take jamie into his garden shed at the show on the bodies of barry and gavin uh distressed jamie lashes out at john but remains under his influence uh, when John learns that Jamie has been abused by Troy, they had to, there's that whole thing where they uh, uh, torture and kill him. Now uh, that he's desensitized, Jamie assists John in carrying out several murders. John and his team then store the bodies in the vault of an abandoned bank in Snowtown. And uh, th- there's a little bit about uh, John's gang, like this guy with a beard who like fucks up and he gets drunk one night. And he tells his wife about what he's been doing. And uh, I was expecting it to go to the point where they were going to kill him. Yeah. Same. Or kill his wife. Yeah. But that never that never happened, which that really was surprising. Because normally in those kind of instances with somebody that is this far deep into this kind of uh, killing. Yeah, it's like. You know, it's it ain't it ain't no thing at that point. It's like, oh, just kill you too now. Whatever, no big deal. Uh, and that guy was the epitome of desensitized, like that, just dead inside. And it's just so crazy, like how they just killed and tortured people. Then they go to the local fucking diner. Or yeah, whatever, and they're just and like they're, you know, like fucking stuff in their faces, and like Jamie's just yeah. sitting there not able to eat. And it's like, yeah, I mean. Uh, Jamie, uh, how he's portrayed in this movie, the 16-year-old who kind of gets caught up yeah, in all Lucas this. Yeah, Lucas away, yeah. Yeah, he, uh, he is portrayed as someone who has like some form of autism almost. He just, Mainly what he does most of the time is he just sits there and stares blankly. Like, that's what yeah, he does in most of the movie. I think that does affect the film in terms of... Because he technically is your protagonist. And it, it, there are some moments where he does show more emotion like when his friend is dead. But a lot of it's just him sitting there with a blank look on his face. And after a certain point, it, it gets a little uh, tiresome. But uh, I can understand why they went that route, because that's really what, a more realistic approach. But he was kind of like that before. You know, he saw all this stuff. So it didn't seem like it was that drastic of a shift in terms of uh, the way that he was behaving or acting. Um, Jamie then is persuaded by John to lure his half-brother Dave to the bank building uh, to look at a computer for sale. Uh, Jamie drives with him to town, uh, vaguely conscious of what he is doing, leads Dave into the building where he's met by John and Robert. Unaware of what is going on, Dave watches Jamie shut the door of the bank. I don't know why his half-brother... Like, what did his half-brother do? Yeah, they didn't really, like, 
expound upon that, I felt like, very much. No. Like, and, what? like uh, why he needed to die. The film ends with uh, just uh, Jamie shutting the door of the bank. And then you have a bunch of captions that tell you what happened when they were actually caught. You know, uh, uh, South Australia police discovered the remains of eight people stored in barrels in the bank vault of Snowtown on May 20th, 1999. And on the following day, John Bunting and Robert Wagner were arrested. So, I, I mean, I don't think this is a bad film, uh, but I think there's a better film about the Snowtown murders that can be made than this. Because it, it first off, it's way too slow paced, it, and the story itself has no need at all to be two hours. There's a lot of moments where it just drags and drags and drags, and it's not for it's not. I mean, the ending it just feels like it's incomplete. When you have these kind of films about murders and about crime and about uh, serial killers. A big part of what makes those compelling and engaging stories is the uh, denouement, the end of their reign of terror. Yeah, you know, seeing that unfold, seeing them uh, get caught, and you're deprived of that with this film. Yeah, it almost felt like. It's like yes, they could keep going, but maybe they were maybe their budget was like running low or maybe or something. But as in that like, instance, they should just they could have just trimmed a lot of stuff out and made the last twenty minutes be you know him getting uh, caught and people getting arrested and and the aftermath. You know, not having the aftermath with this kind of film makes it feel very incomplete. Yeah. Especially since the you know you've been essentially asked by the director to sit through this horrific stuff uh, and yeah. establish that this guy's a serial killer, and you don't really get that payoff that that sweet payoff at the end of like you know justice or you know whatever. And it would be one thing if if the case was just unsolved and he was yeah. never caught you know uh that would maybe make more sense that you would end it that way because how else are you gonna end it if he's never caught but he was apprehended eventually and that would have been um that would have been an interesting you know sequence that could have been put in there and would have given it a nice payoff and yeah you know but you know i i I, like me personally like i know that you didn't really care for the movie and i guess we're getting into our opinions now um (laughs) uh, like i liked the movie though personally i i i really enjoyed the uh indie film uh the cinematography was great the the kind of adam uh uh, did a good job shooting the film and i thought it was well directed and it did have some good performances i just thought the story it wasn't as engaging as a whole as I thought it could have been. There was just a lot of dead air, a lot of stuff that was just kind of dull. I and- see, but I'm I'm used to watching those indie films where they kind of like leave that breathing room. It's not like you're a typical Hollywood American action movie where there's not an ounce of fat well, on yeah, it. I mean, I'm fine with that. I mean, for instance, one of my 
uh, favorite true crime films is Zodiac by David Fincher, and that's even longer than this. God, I remember watching that movie a long time ago and thinking, boring! (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Maybe you should give it another shot. Maybe. But no, like, I enjoyed the indie feel of the movie. I, um... I will say there were some shots though were not necessary, like uh, Jamie pissing in a field. Like we didn't need to see that. Um, I, I felt like the the mo- the world, <laughs> the, like the world and how they filmed it, it felt very lived in. It felt very yeah. re- very real. Like anytime they'd show a yes. house or, or a backyard, it looked very, uh, you know. It, even like it took place in like the late '90s, and it even had somehow it, the movie had this this like '90s kind of vibe. Um, yeah, I don't get to see. I don't know a lot about Australia, so to see like kind of the poorer ghetto areas of Australia and how similar yet different it is from America was interesting. Um, so I was just kind of drinking all of it in. Uh, another thing that was really fascinating for me is that this movie wasn't really intended for an American audience like some movies. No. It, some international movies are made with the intention that they'll be seen. Uh, by an American audience or internationally. This movie was not. This movie was made by and for Australians. And so, you know, as an English speaker, I'm going and going, ah, an Australian film, no problem. I'll be able to understand it. Dude, within five minutes of the movie, I had to turn on the subtitles. I I thought I could get away with it myself, too. Like, I've watched a decent amount of foreign films. I've seen Australian uh, shows I should be able to watch it without subtitles, but I, I wound, up, wound up doing subtitles too. But I don't think it's necessarily due to the accents. I think it's due to the sound mix. The sound mix of this uh, film, at least the one, the version that's on this DVD, is very quiet. You, th- you think that's kinda, what it was? I don't know. I think I think it honestly might have been the sound mix because they might have. Uh, it's a cheaper, lower budget kind of film. And I think the sound mix was a little uh, subpar. And as a result, like the thicker accents and stuff like that were even harder to understand because uh, I have a pretty decent. Well, actually, I I wouldn't say pretty decent. I would say it's actually a really solid soundbar. And I had to turn the volume up considerably in order to really hear everything. So I think I think it's I, I think it's more due to the sound mix as to why. Uh, the uh, the subtitles were necessary because there were times where I could understand everything that they were saying. But I think when it comes to scenes where there's multiple people talking and they have their own different kind of dialect, yeah, or right, take on the Australian accents, uh, that just kind of became this cacophony of. Uh, I'm trying to think of the right word. Um, chaos it's very chaotic and i think the subtitles definitely helped uh with that with that being Um, said though i almost feel like if if you were born and raised in australia you'd probably have no problem following no problem at all but for for an american for me like when when i turn the subtitles on then i would i would be like oh okay like i now i hear now i can hear what they're saying like better because I'm visualizing it, and, and it's like, 
you know, they, they use the word reckon a lot. You know, what, what do you yeah. reckon about that? And, and these are, you know, southern like terms. I, I, I reckon I ought to beat your ass, but they use that a lot in Australia. Then, uh-huh. then they, they use terms that, um, we don't always use over here. Like at one point, uh, the, the guy who, uh, ends up telling his wife what he does, you know, burying the men and all that. Uh, he said, he said something to the extent of me and me and my wife, uh, had a blue with my wife or we were bluing. Something like yeah, that. Yeah, bluing. Yeah, yeah. That one. That one uh, threw me. Yeah, I had well. to. I literally had to message Robin and be like, "What the fuck does blue mean? <laughs> bluing." Mean? Yeah. And he was basically like, "It means get into a fight or a dispute or something oh, like okay. that." I was like, I was thinking, you know, uh, <laughs> on, on a completely different uh, level. You know, if they were like, "What? Like, you got blue balls? Like, what the fuck?" <laughs> I mean, contextually, you know? contextually, I was kind of able to surmise that it probably meant fight, but I, I, I wasn't. Yeah. I was like, that's definitely not a term we use here. Um, no. But yeah, I, I thought that was like, yeah, I, I liked that though. I liked that it, it was uncompromising. You know, that, it makes it more authentic, right? It makes it, yeah, that much more authentic. Like this is how people in that part of the world in that town uh, are, and it, and it, and it feels more. Yeah. It's more interesting when I don't feel like. I mean, like, for fuck's sake, I'm watching, I remember watching Schindler's List, and they were all speaking English, but with German accents, and I'm like, this is fucking stupid. Like, make, have Germans, have German actors play the German parts and speak in German and throw subtitles at the bottom, you know? Like, that that shit is so annoying when they are speaking English, uh, yet they're supposed to be Germans, and it's like, uh, you know. Well, some of them might have been able to speak English, but. They didn't, though. They spoke German yeah. to each other. They weren't speaking English. Mm-hmm. There'd be no reason for them to. That'd be like you and me speaking German to each other right now. <laughs> Why the fuck would we do that? There'd be no point. Yeah, yeah, you got a point. Uh, but yeah, it's a very raw, uh, real-life case, and it the film itself is, is raw uh, as well. Um, I think that rawness, though, can lead it to being a little unfocused and a little bit too long. But uh, I would recommend it if if you're interested in uh, a different kind of true crime film. How the fuck you're gonna um, watch it? I don't know, but uh, I I also recommend it. There are ways to find things. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, I would have never stumbled upon that movie myself, and I, you know, like I said, also it's a region free uh, D- DVD, so you don't have to have a region free player or anything like that. So. You should be able, if you have a DVD player, a Blu-ray player, a computer, you could probably purchase a DVD if you wanted, uh, you were that curious about it, on like Amazon Australia, or uh, maybe through eBay or something, or maybe see if it's streaming somewhere. Um, but yeah, that that was uh, Snowtown, which is a film about uh, John Bunting, uh, a serial killer who really did uh uh provide a lot of questions and, and and a lot of thoughts in terms of when is it right when it is a when is it okay to kill people like if they're a bunch of like nasty pedophiles it it, it taps into that part of people's brains where we almost uh, accept it like it's acceptable that he's, you know, someone is going around killing, you know, these people. And for me, it was, for me, it was kind of, it was kind of the opposite. I was, I was like, 
yes, what these people did were horrific, but then when you actually saw the process oh, yeah. of him like killing them, it was like, well, yeah, I mean, like, God, exactly. is there because once you get to the point where he's torturing them, but a lot of people they didn't necessarily know all the facts, so when they see that somebody's going around taking these people out. A lot of people's uh, initial reaction is going to be like good riddance well, without knowing all the, all the context. That's why we have a legal system and and why uh, one vigilante alone should not be able to be judge, jury, and executioner. There should be a process. Yeah. There should be a process where all the emotion is taken out and you just look at facts and then you're handed down a punishment based on that. And I, I, I'm more down with that system than, you know, oh, you raped someone, so now I'm a third party and I'm going to go kill you for that. You know, I mean, I, that's just, I don't think that that's how, how society should work. Because, I mean, <clears throat> some of these people are not uh, able to be rehabilitated and I think they should stay in yeah. jail, but you know, some people are, and and they fucked up. And as as horrific as rape is, I mean, I don't I don't think that you're if you did rape someone, I don't think uh, you know your whole life should be uh, tossed away for that awful thing you did. I think that you should be able to someday get to a point to where you know you've paid your debt, and that you know you have to live with. It what- depends on the context. It depends on you know what the reality of the situation is because i mean i i understand your your viewpoint and i do think you know a lot of people deserve redemption of some kind but uh it, it, you know it, with rape it's just one of those things where you take someone's innocence and that's something they you can't replace or give back just say in just like in the same way if you kill someone you can't you know bring that person back to life so in a lot of instances with rape or 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 with these pedophile cases you've created scars that uh are just unbelievable in terms of the amount of pain that they've caused to someone and also to uh their own lives like it's just this this scar is just going to follow them for the rest of their life so i think that i think repeat offenders like legitimately have a mental illness that they yeah that they cannot help for sure and they cannot well, I control mean, with bunting bunting he he was he's a serial killer but he's a unique serial killer in the way that some of the people he was killing were individuals that were doing really bad deeds of their own. And instead of uh, the serial killers going around and killing people who are relatively innocent. Right, just for the pleasure of it. This, yeah. this guy had some kind of... Uh... But it was also for the pleasure of it. Yeah. He was just was trying to both. justify what he was doing. Yeah, it got to the what was that? There's that there's that one scene in the movie where they drive up to that guy just by himself on the swing, and 
John's like, do you think anyone would miss him if he was gone? And it, it, yeah. it almost it almost seemed like he was getting to the point where he like needed to for, like get his next kick. I mean, he had some other like, for example, like people who have problems like that one like nerdy kid with the snakes. You could tell that he's got some, you know, mental yeah. issues. Why did they kill? Did they kill that kid? Yeah, they did. What the? F- why did that? Why did they? What did he do? What was his problem? I think there was good was some kind of uh, maybe he saw him as being gay or or you know he thought he was uh, yeah, mentally in the same boat as some of these other sick individuals. Yeah, see, I don't know, man. I I really did not like this guy at all. Um, uh, you know, well, I mean, I don't like him either. He's a fucking piece of shit. He's an awful person. He's just about as a bad as the people that he's supposedly saving his uh town from right um yeah uh, like i said i don't think uh, you know i i don't think that one person should decide that they are you know the moral uh event avenger you know especially not somebody like bunting right (laughs) so we're gonna do this article uh yeah sure so, in 1999, uh, police in Snowtown, Australia, they made the horrifying discovery of eight dismembered bodies and barrels. These killings became known as the Snowtown Murders, one of the most famous cases of serial killers in Australia. These murders were attributed to John Bunting, Robert Wagner, James Vlaskikis, and Mark Hayden. Um, and uh, we're just going to pick up from here. Want, you want to you want to take the victims who were tortured before death? Yeah, this is an article by Ranker, by the way, which just kind of gives you some more info into, you know, the case outside of the movie. Um, the victims were tortured before death. The victims of the group of murders rarely died quickly. Police recovered the following tools that were used to torture the victims. Knives, saws, a double-barrel shotgun, rope, tape, gloves, pliers, clamps, cloth, and even a variac metallurgy tool that was used to give electric shocks to the genitals and other oh parts of the victims. God. God damn, bro. One of the killers later confessed about how the tools were used, and it did not paint a pretty picture. Ray Davies was garroted with rope and a lever after he was put into a bath. Before he died, they attacked him with clubs and beat his genitals. They even crushed one of his toes with a pair of pliers just to make him suffer. They did show that in the movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, Another victim, Frederick Brooks, was given electric shocks to his testicles and had a lit sparkler shoved into his penis. I guess I should preface this with a trigger warning. Uh, His toes were also crushed with pliers and his nose and ears were burned with cigarettes. God damn, bruh. Eventually, they stuffed a rag in his mouth and just let him choke to death. All the while, these two men and other victims were forced to call their killers different titles, such as God, Master, Lord, Sir, and Chief Inspector. Oh. All right, Mike. Definitely got some fucked up individuals involved with, with this particular series of killing. Uh, so there was a cannibalism involved cannibalism uh the final victim that was killed before the police got wind to this murderous gang uh was david johnson james velasquez's stepbrother johnson was lured to an empty bank building by velasquez so that's why he was killed because he caught on to it oh okay yeah it would have been nice if they had fucking explained that yeah yeah 
uh, were Bunting and Wagner lay in wait. Once uh, there, Johnson was strangled, handcuffed, and forced to read a script for a recording. He recited confessions of crimes and acts uh, uh, he had not done and gave his financial information. The killers had done this before with other victims. Then Wagner and Velasquez left Bunting along with Johnson to try unsuccessfully to access his funds through an ATM. When they returned, he was dead. But Wagner wasn't done yet. He said he was upset that he hadn't got to play with Johnson. So he thought he'd have a little more fun. When they dismembered Johnson, they took parts of his flesh, fried them, and they ate them together as one more means of having fun. You're on a whole nother fu- level of fuckland at that point. Like, I don't know how you'll ever s- exist in regular society again after doing something like that. God, that just makes me sick. Like, r- physically sick to my stomach just thinking about that. Just eating human flesh like it's fucking KFC. <clears throat> Despite the name Snowtown Murders, Johnson is the only victim to actually have died in Snowtown. There were at least four people involved with the killings. Historically, prolific serial killers tend to work alone because it affords them a smaller chance of getting caught. This was not at all the case for the Snowtown Murders. There was a ringleader who pushed for and arranged all the killings and enlisted not one but three other people to regularly help with the crimes as well as a few others. John Bunting, the one in charge, approached his neighbor Robert Wagner as a friend and eventually roped him into murder. Bunting was married to Elizabeth Harvey and through her met her son James Velasquez. Velasquez would help with... Oh, so we actually got married to her because like in the film, they never really make that clear it just seems like they were just dating right velasquez would help with and suggest later killings mark hayden also lived nearby and became friends with bunting and was eventually Uh, drawn into his circle of murders suggesting later killings that is not mentioned at all no they do not portray him in that way at all like someone who's like just volunteering people to be killed next um, in addition to these three, these four main players, uh, three other, three were other accomplices. There were other, good Lord, there were other accomplices. <laughs> Bunting's wife, Elizabeth Harvey, also assisted in at least one of the murders. Wow. That, uh, yeah, I think it was one of the guys, uh, um, who might've been involved with, uh, something with her kids or something. Maybe it was another... Um, but, uh, yeah, she was also involved and you didn't really hear much about that in the film either, Uh, about her direct involvement. Thomas Trevelyan was initially part of the gang as well, but later became a victim. Uh, Jeez, I see. That's all, that all be, always be my fear, joining, like, a biker gang or something. Like, when do you go from being a member to the one being, getting your ass kicked, you know, for saying the wrong thing to the leader or Mm -hmm. something? Uh, Jody Elliott was a relative of Mark Hayden and also helped out with collecting money after the killings. With all these people involved in the murders, it's shocking the operation went on for as many years as it did. It really is shocking. Like, once the body count started to rise in this film, it it, it feels like something that would just be scripted. Like, there's no way that actually, you know. Right. That really, he got away with that many killings, with this many accomplices. This has got to be fake. But no, it was real. 
I wonder if uh, the location and the fact that it was taking place in Snowtown in this small rural area in Australia might have something to do with it. I mean, if that's this whole sort of uh, the town protects their own, they oh these people disappear and nobody's going to miss them. They even say that kind of thing. I mean, you have these meetings where they're talking and they're drinking and they're talking about all these different ways how they're going to kill these pedophiles. You know, uh, God, I think the bearded guy's wife, she's like talking about, oh, what what would you do? I would, you know, shave off his penis with the grater, you know, that kind Uh of stuff. You know, just like just nonchalantly talking about torturing and killing people. At a dinner party. But it did get to the point where, like, uh, Elizabeth's ex, he was, like, he got sick of it. Because it, it all, that's really what, when you started to see, well, I mean, you already saw that John was very far gone. But that's when other people were starting to realize that this guy is way more into these fantasies of, of killing these pedophiles than... Uh, then then uh, then you might think you know oh it's not just some want to be tough guy thing you know this is a guy who actually might do it and then you find out that he actually is doing it but yeah even the 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 ex he's just like i came here for dinner like what i, <laughs> I didn't come here for this shit so uh yeah, uh, Bunting was uh, apparently a nice, manipulative man. That was definitely on display in, in the film. His uh, nice side, cooking breakfast, His fatherly dinner you know. yeah, for the kids. Right. The ringleader of these murderous operations was John Bunting. It'd be, you would be hard-pressed to find a better killer gang leader. He was characterized as a good listener, kind, compassionate, and empowering. He had a knack for talking to people, befriending them, and making them feel so connected to him that they would about they would do they would do just about anything that he asked of them, like a cult leader, like Jim Jones. However, underneath that kind and unassuming appearance lay all the classic earmarks for a serial killer. He had been abused as a youth and became fascinated with weaponry and causing pain. He killed a friend's dog. He became fascinated with anatomy. Began working in a crematorium with human bodies. He killed and skinned cats, bragging about how much he enjoyed slaughtering animals while working at a meat company. In summary, he was a master manipulator obsessed with death and had a love of killing. It was a perfect storm that resulted in a terrifying serial killer. Is this extra kind of stuff, these extra layers to these real people that could make another film about Snowtown even better? Right. Um, many victims were killed in their homes. One particularly terrifying aspect of these killings is that many of the victims were not kidnapped and killed elsewhere, as many serial killers do. Instead, the murderers often chose to kill people within their own homes. Elizabeth Hayden, Gary O'Dyer, Troy Yowd, and perhaps some of the others were all killed in their place of living or were at least attacked and tortured there. What's more is that the group of killers would vandalize the homes of their victims as well as the homes of anyone they thought might be gay or a pedophile. They showed no fear of intruding or disrupting someone else's privacy, 
and did so easily without getting caught. Those that were not killed in their homes were often lured willingly to Bunting's house where they were tortured and murdered before their bodies were dismembered and stuffed into barrels. So uh, Bunting apparently hated gays and pedophiles. Bunting hadn't exactly had an easy life growing up. He was born without a sense of smell, and at the young age of eight, he was brutally beaten and sexually assaulted by a friend's older brother. It is likely this to set him on a path of harboring a deep hatred for pedophiles and gays. Later down the line, he would use this hatred as an excuse to begin killing. His first victim, Clinton Tracy, was one he accused of being a pedophile. After he had invited the man over for a social visit, he accused him of crimes against children. Then he bashed in Tracy's head with a shovel before disposing of his body. Bunting would later refer to Tracy as happy pants, but there's no actual evidence that Clinton was a pedophile. Yeah, because this guy is just fucking crazy. He'll just see something, or, or he'll see that he's not his idea of masculine, and he'll assume that he's a pedophile, or assume that he's gay. You know, that kind of thing. Because he's just so fucked in the this head. Is, this is unfortunately uh, a stigma that uh, gay men uh, have against them as well, is that yes. uh, if, if you are um, gay, then you, uh, you know, some people conflate that to, well, there's also a higher chance that you are you might be a pedophile, which I think yes, is, like, that, that is just, super unfair. They're, they're, it is an unbelievably unfair. It also happens to trans uh, women. And uh, it, it's just, uh, th- there are no statistics that support that. So it's it, it's just people believe in what they want to believe. Uh, just like uh, Bunting, he believed what he wanted to believe when it comes to these victims. Um, and there's some weird stuff in the film where it seemed like it almost seemed like they were trying to insinuate that maybe he kind of had some homosexual gay uh, feelings at times. It was kind of, you know, he's hanging out with all these young men and, you know, that kind of, it, it was really a very weird thing because he was all talking about how I hate these people and they're blah, blah, blah. But then the way that the film would shoot some of these scenes as if he's kind of grooming some of these kids. Yeah himself wouldn't be surprising at all and there was like really weird scene where i think one of the younger boys he it looked like he had him dressed in drag and like dancing on a table or some shit while he's sitting there in the couch outside it's very strange which i mean he's he's fucked so you know the guy is completely crazy so it's it's not that surprising that he'd be into some really fucked up shit like that um bunting bunting's hatred of gays didn't extend to any actual crimes he considered them dirty and in one room of his home he created what he called a rock spider wall where he kept a web of pictures and names of people he suspected were gays rock spider is a slang term in australia for pedophiles apparently and he referred to all gays as such kind of a i mean Kind of a badass nickname. I'm a fucking rock spider. <laughs> I mean, you don't want to be... Obviously, being a pedophile is not good. No. But uh, there are worse slangs out there than rock spider. Oh, yeah. Like, fucking... For sure. 
That sounds like a fucking, uh, I don't know, like a... Sounds like a band name, doesn't it? Or an album it kind so- of title? Sounds like a fucking tarantula wearing like an Iron Maiden shirt or something. <laughs> fucking rock spider. <laughs> Even though a tarantula isn't a spider. Fuck off, I know. Uh, they knew the people they killed. It's not common for prolific serial killers to kill people they know or are close to because it brings investigators knocking at their doors. If someone you know dies, police tend to question you, and that can lead to you becoming a suspect or giving away a hint as to what happened to them. But in this case, the gang went out of their way to get to know the people that they killed, and oftentimes these people were friends or family for quite some time before Bunting ever made the call that they needed to be killed. Some even lived with Bunting for a time, such as Gavin Porter or Thomas Trevelyan. The killers got close to uh, Trez... Trezise, Trezise, before they killed him. Uh, Wagner dated Barry Lane for a spell before killing him, too. Who says for a spell? Who the fuck? This must be an Australian website. Um, well, it's not. Oh, no, it's not. Know. I don't know. Whatever. It's just an older I know. That's why it's weird. Thomas Trevelyan had even assisted in a previous murder before Bunting decided he was the next mark. Many of the people they killed had psychiatric problems or mental disabilities, which made them easy targets and meant they were not missed as quickly. Jeez, that's kind of brutal. Uh, But even then, some of these individuals had known the killers for years or even their whole lives. For example, Elizabeth Hayden was the wife of one of the killers, and David Johnson was a stepbrother of uh, Velasquez. So Velasquez helped kill his own half-brother and stepbrother. A few of the victims were actually family members, particularly family of James Spiding, uh, Spyridon Vlaskis. Uh, James was only in his teens at the time and easily fell under Bunting's spell. He was quick to offer up people for him to kill. Uh, you know, a lot of films tend to kind of do this, where they leave out real uh, uh, aspects of certain people's personality or how things really are to make things fit in more of a cookie cutter mold and reading all this they definitely did that the writers of Snowtown with Jamie yeah aka James yeah Uh, because he's the protagonist and they were probably worried well if we show him like that then literally there's not one single likable person in this movie no so uh bunting had uh married elizabeth harvey harvey uh james's mother and the two quickly began to spend a lot of time together without a present father in his life he uh james turned to bunting as a father figure began to trust him uh and he tried to make attempts to impress him like learning how to ride a motorcycle and all that kind of stuff when Bunting said he hated gays and pedophiles, James was quick to agree. Uh, and in the film, he didn't even say anything. Right. But, like, Bunting would be like, you know, you, you, what do you think? And he would just not say anything. He would leave the room. Uh, he even confided that his half-brother Troy had molested him when he was only 13. Oh, so it was more than just at one time. Uh, Bunting responded by setting up Yude's murder. Uh, the group visited Yude's house, dragged him from his bed, tormented him, and killed him to dispose of his body. In the film, it's insinuated as if he knew that they were going to go after Troy, but he wasn't the one that was with them 
while they were like beating him and dragging him around until that one scene where he looks around and he sees him in in the bathroom. Um, David Johnson, James's own stepbrother, uh, also became a victim as well. Most of the bodies were put in barrels of acid. Not all the bodies were disposed of in the same way, but the majority of them were dismembered and buried in a very particular manner. In May of 1999, police discovered the remains of eight victims stored in huge plastic barrels of acid in a shed. Sometimes two bodies were shoved into a single barrel. After the dismembered bodies were stored, Bunting would often check on them to see how they were doing. Morbid. Upon looking at the first victims he put into those barrels, he reportedly said, they're rotting very nicely. He took some pleasure in watching the bodies of the victims fall apart in the barrels, and he kept two barrels separate from the others in the abandoned bank vault where he had killed Johnson. This grisly find by the police led to the murders, often being referred to as bodies and barrels case. So by the end, at least 12 people had died. One of the last victims that was killed before police caught on was the wife of one of the killers, Elizabeth Hayden. Bunting and Wagner went over to her house when she was alone with her children, when her children and husband were out. Bunting claims that she behaved very sexually towards them. This meant that she was dirty and treacherous and needed to die. That's a stretch, right? Yeah. I mean, it's... Oh, she's turned on... And uh, flirting with me, better better kill her. She was tortured and killed in her own home before her body was put in a barrel. When Mark was later shown his wife's remains in the barrel, he supposedly laughed and did not appear upset. Fortunately, she was close enough to the group that her disappearance alerted police to the fact that something might be up. A year later, in 1999, the group was caught and arrested after the bodies were found. In the end, 12 bodies were found. Uh, only 11 could be determined as murdered. But there may have actually been even more victims. They would steal welfare payments. Greed was definitely not the main motivation in these killings, but the gang wasn't shy about trying to get money for their efforts. Before killing the victims, Bunting would often record them reciting banking information as they tortured them. He would then have members of his gang impersonate the victim or friends of the victim and would take money for them or collect on welfare payments. Considering some of the victims had disabilities, these checks were hardly small amounts. In court, it was established that the gang stole at least $95,000 just from victims' welfare benefits. It was a hefty sum, but it was uh, also obvious from what Bunting said that the money was just a bonus. The real reward for the murders had been the act of killing. He called the cash they got icing on the cake. But I think the cash is also what enabled them to keep it up. Sure. Because uh, it, it's not, it doesn't really show in the film, or, or I don't even think it's even known if Bunting even had a job while he was doing all this. Did he have a day job? Or uh, was not, were they it just... It wasn't uh, really established from what I saw. Were they just working uh, on the amount of money that they stole from their victims? Uh, speaking of the tape recording stuff, that is that's another morbid thing, and really dark, and and just incredibly twisted to have them lie about their relationship with their family, and just be like, you know, I hate you, mom. Yeah. You know. That that's. And that's the last uh, uh, thing that uh, 
the mother or, or other relatives would hear from their loved one is, you know, I fucking hate right. you. Yeah, it's, it's very, very fucking sick. So apparently Bunting listened to music while he killed. Uh, killing wasn't exactly a stressful activity for Bunting. He had some rather odd things he liked to do while performing these heinous acts. Not only did he force his victims to call their murderers by regal titles, but he also liked to torture people while listening to music. In particular, he used an album called Throwing Copper by the band Live. God, really? That's such a random choice. That's like the band... Have you heard of that yeah, band yeah, in, that, in that album? Yeah, Throwing Copper was uh, the Live's most popular album. It had that song i alone love you i alone tempt you fear is not the end of this i uh, had that song oh now that song has some <laughs> oh i fear feel is not it coming back again the lightning crashes oh that one okay yeah i've heard uh, that song. i got a bunch of most of their big radio hits were off that album so that's that's very random fear is not the end though yeah he played tapes of the album during murders of uh, Hugh Johnson and Brooks, and two different CDs of the album were found at crime scenes. Reports from one of the killers during uh, trial state that Bunting insisted on listening to this album while killing, and that it seemed to put. I him wonder at how peace. that makes the band live feel. <laughs> like there, it's co- like that. Uh, it's like the the song that uh, Luca Magnata played. I wonder how that band feels. I forgot what what song that was. Uh, it, I actually, I think it's but is the band New Order? Oh, are you talking about True uh, True Faith? No, yeah. that was yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, that was, that was New Order. Jeez, that's so weird because Live is kind of a hippity hippy dippy band. Like they were, uh-huh. they were like a '90s alt rock band, but you know the singer was bald but he had this one really long uh narrow like braided bit of hair but the rest of his head was uh-huh. bald and he just they they kind of looked like hippies back in the day and yeah definitely not the kind of people that probably would like sign off on any of this shit jesus christ no so a uh, bunting never showed remorse the trial for this case was particularly uh disturbing not just for what was done to the victims but for how the killers reacted to it all uh, Vlaskis was pretty quick to turn on the others and was given a lesser sentence as he revealed everything in front of the court. He even said that he was sorry for what he had done. Bunting, on the other hand, barely seemed to care at all. Bunting and Wagner went to trial together because they were so calm and cold when they spoke about the victims. Three jury members had to walk away from the case. It became obvious that the group was in the business of killing. Bunting never once seemed to show sorrow or fear that anything had happened. And an ultimate show of contempt, Bunting even read a book during sentencing, barely listening as they read out his jail time. Jesus Christ. <laughs> In 2003, Bunting was sentenced to 11 consecutive life sentences without the possibility of parole. Velasquez was sentenced to life with a 26-year minimum. Uh, Wagner got life without parole. And Hayden got 25 years in jail with an 18-year minimum. The town has considered changing its name. Both good and bad things have happened 
to the town of Snowtown after these murders, even though only one murder was actually committed in the little town with a population of 400, it still gained a reputation as a place of killings and nothing more. Some people in the town chose to embrace this and created souvenirs and trinkets to sell of course. to the morbidly curious visitors. God. Gotta make that money! Well, I mean, I guess the, uh, what it was that chick, the, uh, the uh, house in Massachusetts where the the girl killed, hacked uh, up her family. Oh, uh, Lizzie Borden. Lizzie Borden. Yeah, they, I think they capitalize on that. There. I mean, they, that's 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 or the or Salem Salem witch trials. Yeah, that's really messed up. That was so long ago, though. I mean, I, that that's yeah. not as that's not as you know fucked up to me as. Like, well, I mean, Lizzie Borden was a long time ago. Too. Yeah, this is actually pretty recent, and it's. I mean, that'd be like Columbine, like selling like fucking oh, miniatures of their school, and you know, little 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 magnets with their school little on tasteless. it. Tasteless, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's what they're doing here. Is just drawing a comparison. Um, yeah. Uh, blah, 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 blah. There was actually a bit of a boom in the town's economy directly following the discovery of the bodies as people wished to photograph the different buildings they had read about in the news. However, I don't understand that. Like, what? I, I, get, I mean, I get, I get the, you know, something very dramatic happened here, and it yeah, but could be who's pretty- like, hey, honey, uh, let's go grab the kids and let's go to Snowtown and let's go uh, check out the murder houses. <laughs> no, I don't I don't think it'd be people like that. I think it'd be fucking weirdos like, you know, podcasters like you and me and shit. Like if we were, you know, hey, look, we're, this is the uh, fucking uh, we are live from uh, uh, the Snowtown residence. Yeah, yeah no. Oh look! This is uh, where the house bur- the you know burned down, and the dude was uh, the 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 girls ex- were never found. And uh, let's take a picture of it, you know. However, other residents were not so pleased. They wished to change the town's image back to one of innocence, the way it had been on and off. The town had considered changing its name in order to distance itself from the murders. The possibility of Rose Town was discussed for a short while before it was abandoned. As of July 2017, they re- they remained Snowtown. And they do their best to thrive off tourism brought in from news stories, documentaries, films, and TV shows. Well, here's the thing. Uh, even if you change the name, it, it, it's not going to do anything. See, I, I, I really never understood that. Like, oh, we'll change the name of the town. Mm, yeah, I mean... That- well, I mean, that's like uh, in uh, that's like here in Jacksonville. There's all this talk about uh, changing the names of schools because they were named after Confederate leaders uh-huh. and all that. And I mean, but that that kind of thing, I could kind of understand where they're coming from. Yeah, I mean, but it's like it's not this? like it's not like the town's name was called John Bunting. You know, it's just called Snowtown, yeah, no. and something bad happened to occur there. And we we live in the age of the internet, so people are just gonna find on the internet, uh, oh, Rose Town, formerly known as Snowtown. You, you know, it's not gonna, not really gonna do anything uh, substantial in terms of separating uh, the town from the killings and from John Bunting. It's just something that the town's just going to have to live with. That's just what happens uh, when it comes to these kind of cases. I mean, Amityville is still dealing with all that, even though it's pro- it could more than likely be a hoax. 
and the person that bought the house changed everything and even changes the windows and the house doesn't even look at all like it used to or like it did in the films well that was like the russian city of stalingrad was changed they changed their name to volgograd after uh you know the fall of joseph stalin you know to Mm -hmm. you know disassociate themselves from that dictator you know so it's it's not without precedent no, but I'm but again, you know, that's kind of like the the school, you know, like where there's like a Rob, yeah. there's like a Robert E. Lee High School here in Jacksonville, you know, that's that's the name of a specific person, so it makes more sense. Like Snowtown, that's not the, you yeah. know, the, the guy who did the bad thing wasn't named John Snow, you know, it was <laughs> John Snow. <laughs> so it, it, yeah, I mean, just leave the fucking name and. You know, fucking if, if you're making Man. a little cottage industry off some bad shit Game that of happened, Thrones really took a, a a turn for the worse. <laughs> if you get to that point in one of the seasons where Jon Snow was just he just started killing people. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know anything about uh, that show. <laughs> I, I I don't know that much either. I haven't really seen it, but I I've heard a lot about it. I knew about it because it was a huge phenomenon for a certain amount of time so yeah i don't really know what else to say except uh john bunting he's it's a piece of shit piece of work uh uh definitely a unique breed when it comes to serial killers because of his choice of victims and also the fact that he had a gang like how often does a serial killer have a gang of other because if you think about it they're doing the same murders as him so aren't they technically also serial killers yeah but you know he's the ringleader so he gets all the accolades you know he started it it's like you know you always hear about adolf hitler but you never hear about like uh, heimrich Heimrich himmler or or joseph goebbels or uh, goering or any of the people who were you know, really the hands-on killers, well, not Goebbels as much, but, you know, like, Himmler was a bad son of a bitch. Um, but you never hear about them. Uh, you just hear about Hitler. Cause- well, you hear, well, you hear about some of them. Depends on where what you're watching. You know, like, if you're watching something about the SS. Or like like Joseph Stalin, name one of his right-hand men. You know, I can't, I can't. I, I can't do it. You don't hear about it. You just hear about the guys who started it, you know? Fucking uh, old what ravioli face down there, uh, uh, Mussolini. I don't know any of his... Well, well, also Mussolini, you don't know... Yeah, you don't know what his... Uh, I just know he had a, I just know he had a really weird-ass... He had a weird-ass headquarters uh, with uh, this facade on, on, on the front of the building with the word C, C, C written over and over again yeah, with his yeah. uh, Nintendo 64 rendered stone face on the front of the building. <laughs> um, so anyway, I guess we will go on to the perks of being a Yosh flower. Because um, I don't have anything else to say about John Bunting and Snowtown, do you? No, I just, I it, you know, it's a nice case that's on my radar now. And I'm, you know, it's cool that I can add another, you know, serial killer to my repertoire that I did not know about before that, you know, is based out of Australia. I mean, I don't really know shit about Australia, so it's kind of fun learning about another 
English speaking country because I know a lot about England,、yeah. you know, but you don't, you weren't really taught a lot about Australia, you know. All you're taught is that, oh, it was started out as a prison colony and, you know, and kangaroos and, kangaroos and aborigines, and that's it. But, um, and Crocodile Dundee, an Outback Steakhouse, which I'm sure has no bearance whatsoever to Australia.、No. But those blooming onions are fucking delicious. They are.、Their、coconut shrimp is also really good. Their coconut shrimp is amazing. I like their steak. I like, I like everything from Outback. I just, I don't know. If one was closer to me, I would go. For those of you who don't know, Outback Steakhouse is an Australian themed steakhouse, and、um, they just have、uh, it's just the most hackiest Australian decor and themes you would expect. It's like if you went to an America town and the ads always have you know, the stereotypical Australian accent and all of the terminology that Americans think are so common in Australia. Right. Like fucking Crocodile Dundee is just chilling in Outback Steakhouse waiting for you to. Anyway.、Um, so, anyway, the perks of being a Josh Flower. I found my diaries when I was a teenager when I would write on Zanga.com, and they're are cringy and dark and complainy, and、uh, I've been reading through them. And.、Um, I will make the disclaimer that anything, I have not pre read anything.、Uh, so, anything that I say in these old entries is like over 10 years old. So, just know that I don't feel that way anymore if I say something like fucking homophobic or offensive or whatever. So, I've been known to do that in the past because I was a fucking idiot back then and I have evolved as a person. Anyway, we're picking up, up from、uh, September 20th, 2005. Philosophy is cool, but it will make you go crazy. Like the theory of the brain in the jar. This theory states that all you are is a brain in a jar in some mad scientist's lab. He has hooked wires up to your brain that let you feel emotion and sensations, but that's all you are. How can you prove that we aren't? What if this is just a big elaborate dream? Yeah, that's philosophy. It's very deep. So, anyway, my band is actually going good right now. Now we are just starting to click, it seems like. Whenever I go over there, I get kind of panicky, almost to the point of a panic attack, because I hardly know anyone. I'm in the middle of nowhere, and it would be so embarrassing if something ever happened to me over there and they had to call an ambulance. I know this will never happen, but that's the thing about panic attacks. You think at the time something very well could happen. But anyway, since I've had my license, I can count on my fingers all the places I've been. Part of this lack of going places is the fact that I need a damn car. I drove to the music store Saturday, got really freaked out and nervous, and you guessed it, had a panic attack. I'm starting to see trends here. Whenever I'm in a situation to where I feel as though I wouldn't be able to escape to safety, I have no one. So that is pretty gay.、Um, I want slash need to go to therapy, but. We are doing really bad on money right now. And I don't know. It's just the whole thought of some therapist that just doesn't appeal to me. Man, I really fucking want a girlfriend. I want to start talking to Amber more or Stephanie or Jessica or Ashley. Someone, anyone, please touch me! Exclamation points. Oh my God. I don't think you want. I don't think you really want that, Josh. Someone, anyone, please touch me. Just. I don't care who it is. Are you sure?、Uh, that, Are you sure you don't care? At that care point, I may、is? not have. 
I'm so horny. Uh, I want a woman. I'm so deprived. I hate how much easier for gr- it is for girls to get boyfriends rather than guys, fat ones especially. Wait. Oh, great. Wait has a- You're going to pull that uh-huh. one. <laughs> oh, yeah. Wait has a lot to do with this issue, I believe. Girls are just fucking shallow for the most part, I think. Not all, obviously. From the beautiful girl I went out with last year, but they are pretty damn shallow. Come Halloween, I'm going to feel like shit because that would be me and my Casey's one-year anniversary. We had stayed... Get over her already! (laughs) Had we stayed together, but whatever. I have a big fucking book report due tomorrow. Someone fuck me in the asshole. Oh yeah, fuck, I forgot. I also have a huge-ass world history fucking report due Friday, motherfucker. World history is so fucking hard. I don't care what anyone says. So I guess I had a lot of shit to say. More things happen in your life than you think when you just type it out. Well, I'm hungry as a bitch. I'm going to go. Anyways, thanks for listening to me, even if you don't like me. All right. What is all this shit? Uh, Okay, this was some survey that I filled out that is all HTML fuckulated. Not going to read that one. Um <laughs> Uh, Friday, October 7th, 2005. Okay, something actually happened for once today. I was watching The Exorcist, and oh my god, that movie is fucked up. It was sick. Yeah, I love God. So anyway, Amber called me, and... <laughs> just Dude, I watched The Exorcist. It's sick. It's fucked up. I love God. Like, you had to put that in there. Yeah, to, to cover my like, bases, man. Uh, 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 you know, because you watch The Exorcist... Um, yeah, the movie is sick. I'm glad that, like, even at that age and at that time, you were like, it's fucked up. And not like, this is so lame and stupid. And oh, no. It's not scary. Oh, no. I was, I was very freaked out about demons and shit back at that age. Um, uh, for me, the scariest part of The Exorcist is not the demon stuff. It's the I- idea and the concept that science cannot cure you of of a particular affliction yeah it's the spinal tap scene that gets me every time because of just how graphic and real it is i remember this and medically accurate the scene that fucked me up the worst is when she bends over backwards and crawls down the stairs well that's actually a scene that was added to the uh extended version on home video that was never in the theatrical cut uh the reason why they didn't add it in the theatrical cut is because they had some takes and it didn't look right so uh many many years later when they were uh getting ready to release the extended version uh the version that you've never seen because that's how they advertised it the version you've never seen uh they did some i think they did some cgi or some kind of thing to to tweak it up a little bit to make it a little bit better. Uh, well, that's like me with Star Wars. The fir- the only version I I've ever really seen is the uh, the touched up one. I've never seen the the special. You've never seen the specialized editions. You should definitely check. That yeah, out I've never seen time. the OG OG ones where everything yeah. looks cheap and you know crappy. <laughs> well, they don't really look cheap and crappy. They look really uh, good for the time, and also you don't get extra nonsense like distractingly bad cgi from the 90s yeah that was thrown in there doofy 
but yeah, The Exorcist, it's it's a very, uh, I think it's a great movie, uh, but I, I can see why some people, they might be like, oh, this is just dumb. I think people, I think people, the, the only people who would say that are people who are trying to be like tough guys, like, oh, nothing scares me. Trying to be edgy. Yeah, nothing scares yeah, me, yeah. you know, like, look how tough I am. Like, I'm so. It's just a bunch of pea soup, you know, it's like, what's so scary about that? <laughs> Yeah, if you're just gonna go, uh, if you're just yeah. gonna go in and like break down a movie for like, oh, that well, well then don't watch movies at all because the whole point is suspending <laughs> your disbelief and going on the ride. If you're just yeah. gonna sit there and shit on the ride, then why are you even on the fucking ride? Well, also with The Exorcist, it helps to have uh, perspective of its place in cinematic history. I mean, in 1973, like nobody was doing that kind of stuff. It was breaking barriers and doing stuff that um, uh, you just really hadn't seen before. It's it scared. Uh, there's a reason why it scared the shit out of my dad. He saw it in theaters when it came out, and he felt he slept with his lights on for a week after that movie with a baseball bat next to him in bed. Yeah, there's a lot of people like people freaked out in the theater, passing out, vomiting. Like it, there's a lot of extreme reactions uh, to that film. That you know nowadays, uh, a lot of the horror that's in that film, I have to admit, compared to some of the more graphic horror that ha- has uh, been released since. It does seem tame, but you have to put it in perspective. You can't be like, oh, like, uh, it's not shocking anymore when she says, you know, your mother sucks cocks in hell because, you know, I see that in the comment section on YouTube every day. It's like, well, you you really just got to put things into perspective. Yeah, that was that was super fucking edgy back then. I mean, masturbating with a crucifix. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. The Exorcist is fucked up, folks. It's one fucked up movie, but I do recommend it if you can handle it. So anyway, I go on about driving my friend Amber to Nassau to get a paper signed for. I was the biggest simp back then. Then we went to Burger King and I applied for a job. I don't think they will call me back though because I was slovenly in my application filling out. Whatever that, uh, whatever that means. Like, I don't what? know why I fight. What was I just like? I'm drunk right now. I'm hungover, <laughs> and I have a five o'clock shadow. Uh, don't know why you need to know that, but uh, that's my how I look right now. So uh, hope you still hire me. Yeah. Um, speaking of Burger King, I do. I actually did an interview. I think at a Burger King um, before I got my job at Michaels, and uh, it, it was just. Uh, I'm glad I didn't get the job because it just. It, it, it oh, was, dude! You it, don't want to work at a fast food joint. No, no. Also, I was like, I can't do that. Like the, the more I'm thinking about it, like I can't do it because I, with my uh, Aspergers, with that kind of multitasking, it I, I just couldn't do it. It would just be too much to do at once, and I just couldn't handle it. I mean, I could do stuff on the register, but like on the register, it's just keeping track of the computer and scanning things and bagging stuff. It's not, uh, put this, uh, bun, uh, cook this, cook that, take this, uh, condiment, put it, that, uh, and do it in a certain amount of time. No. Yeah. Yeah. It gets stressful. I mean, I worked at great wraps in the, uh, food court at my mall. And, um, you know, when you got that lunch rush and, I mean, uh, the high stress job was the grill because that you know you have oh, to yeah. you have to be able to have like, um, you know, four or five sandwiches going at once, and 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 you know you had to manage all of it and make sure nothing got burnt. And if you weren't, I mean, it was one of those 
things that you just got good at. And um, I mean, I got to where, you know, my boss was letting me cook things on the grill. Um, But when things got to a certain point, my boss would always make me slide over and let Prakash, the main guy, take over. And I'm like, I would get pissed because I was like, dude, I can do it. Just give me a chance. He's like, no, let Prakash do it. And I'm like, motherfucker. But yeah, anyway. um, Yeah. Did you ever want to pull a Beavis and Butthead at Burger World? You know, while you're. I feel like I, I, I feel like I put something stupid in the grease in the uh, deep fryer one time. I forget what it was. <laughs> yeah, that shit, that shit was normally nasty though, man. We didn't empty that grease for like the longest time. Uh, all right, next we got Wednesday, October twelfth, two thousand five. Okay, I will update. Why is Zanga not cool anymore? I don't get it. MySpace is like the shit now. I cannot wait until this weekend. Friday, I'm going to the football game, and Saturday, I'm going to Brittany Brown's birthday bash. I wanted a 4B phrase there. I don't think I'm any closer to a girlfriend. Whatever, I don't care. (laughs) Yeah, sure you don't. But yet, I feel pressure like I need one. Why? But school is pretty stupid, and people are getting gayer by the day. Josh D. has changed a lot. He's all hardcore and straight-edge and Christianly now. That bothers me. Not that that he's Christianly. He's so weird now. I hope we can still be best friend, even though he's weird now and he's all paranoid that I told Brittany something about him. I don't know. I can't think right now. I want to play bass. Bye. Alrighty. This is the last one I'll read and then we'll uh, wrap it up. Monday, October 17th, 2005. What's been going on, bitches? Okay, so what have I been up to lately? Well, Thursday, I went to band practice at the bass player's house. It was cool. This guy tried to fill in as a singer, but the PA wasn't loud enough. Then Friday, I went to the game, and it was pretty boring, I must say. I drove up there, which was fun. Then I drove home, all by myself. I'm so responsible. And Josh and Patrick were kind of being bitches. Josh has been kind of a bitch lately, ever since he got in this band, Our Finest Hour. He, like, seriously thinks he's better than a lot of people. And the only reason I think he is in that band is because he is the cousin of the guitar player. Hello, that's got a big thing to do with it. And I sound really queer just then. Hello, guys! I saw two gay guys in the supermarket the other day. They were so gay. Okay, so anyway... (laughs) All right. Dude. Um, Saturday... I went to Brittany Brown's birthday party. It was out in Bryceville. That's intense. Whoa. It was boring. No action of any kind. But I got to play a fender with a whammy bar. That was neat, I guess. They thought I was a they they thought I was good at guitar. Then yesterday I went to the mall and bought Mother's Milk by the Red Hot Chili Peppers. It's pretty good. Flea is an amazing bass player. I had a pretty eventful weekend, and oh my god, I am so happy I am sitting next to Tabitha Sailor in English class. Man, I have liked her for so long, and I have wanted her so bad. And she was being nice to me today, so hopefully this will turn into something. But I doubt it, because all my relationships I try to get just fuck up. Ever since Casey, no other girl has been able to touch what she, or has been able to touch what she was. Okay, was been able to get next to what she was. And so I guess I will wait for something to happen. Hmm, what else? Oh yeah, Nine Inch Nails concert this Friday. And we finally have a freaking date set for our band. 
It's supposed to be October 29th at the Imperial. We are playing with a bunch of other good bands, so whoever reads this, probably nobody by now, should come out and support Joshua Cannon in drum form this time, not bass. Okay, so anyways, I hate school. I'm really sucking in it right now. Algebra 2 is just as gay as geometry in Algebra 1. It, it's all the same to me, and it all sucks. Okay, I guess I'm done here. I'm bad at keeping secrets with some people. I might have started some shit. Okay, bye. And I'm not going to read the last thing I said. Um, yeah, all right. Well, uh, classic uh, vintage Josh there. Just uh, lame. Putting your foot in your mouth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, seeing two gay people and commenting on how gay they were. All right. Uh, again, as someone who himself had at some point questioned his own sexuality, I find it funny that I was the stereotypical kid who was mocking something that I myself uh, was was struggling with uh, at the time. So uh, that's mm-hmm. kind of ironic, but typical. Uh, all right, that's the end of the podcast, guys. If you want more of us, you can subscribe to us on Patreon. Usually we get it out early to you, sometimes not. But for $5 a month, we'll cover a case that you recommend. Um, we're finally getting to Robin's cases because he sent us these DVDs. Um, and thank you for that, Robin. Yeah. We appreciate sorry that. Sorry about the delay. Uh, I hope you uh, found it worth the wait, though. Yes. Um, but yeah, it's patreon.com slash uncovering unexplained mysteries. That's um, patreon.com slash uncovering unexplained mysteries to become a Patreon. If you want to follow us on Facebook, you can go to Facebook and go to the groups section or search uncovering unexplained mysteries, and our group will pop up. And is a very lovely group of fantastic citizens of the world. Um, if you want to follow us on Instagram, it is Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries. I want to give a big thanks to Helen for managing our Twitter and our Instagram accounts. She is awesome and consistent and uh, does it for no money. So thank you, Helen. We really appreciate that. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at Uncovering UM. Although I'm sure if you type in Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries, we will pop up on Twitter um, for all kinds of different content that Helen posts on there. Um, And finally, if you want more of me and Mike, but you want us separately, you don't want us so togethery as we are on here, we have uh, our individual YouTube channels. Mike's YouTube channel is youtube.com slash OCP communications. That is youtube.com slash OCP communications. He's a movie guy. He talks about the movies. Uh, what was the last video you did, you, uh, you uh, fucking Mike? <laughs> uh, the last video I uploaded is a rant on uh, The Crow Wicked Prayer, the fourth film in The Crow franchise. Great fucking soundtrack, film. by the way, to uh, The Crow movies, usually. Especially- well, the, well, the first one. Yeah, the first one. Uh, the second one had a good song, Jurassic by Filter. But uh, the third film, the, f- the third and the fourth films, I mean, the third one had a uh, living dead girl in a scene by Rob Zombie. Yeah. But other than that, like not much. Uh, yeah, I reviewed all four of the Crow films. Uh, th- to me, there's only one legitimately good Crow movie, and it's the first film. Everything else is varying degrees of bad or disappointing. So did they ever like. Wicked Prayer, though, is the worst. I mean, Edward Furlong is horribly miscast. Uh, the kid from 
uh, Terminator 2, Grown Up, uh, you know, John Connor, and uh, in the crow makeup and the leather jacket, he looks like he's a girl cosplaying as a crow for Comic-Con. It's, it's, it's really not the right... <laughs> Right look. Yeah, he doesn't seem to have the right you physical stature to play no. the crow. No. Did they ever address what the fucking deal was with the wrestler Sting like totally ripping off the crow's face? No. Paint? But I mean, it, it's you know, the, I mean, I love Sting. <laughs> I knew more, I, I was a, and I still am a mark for Sting. Uh, I was a huge Sting fan when he started his uh, crow gimmick. Uh, on WCW, and I didn't even know anything about the Crow yeah, same. until years later. Same. I loved Sting, and I knew about Sting before I knew about the Crow, but it's just like, I mean, dude, talk about blatant fucking ripoff. <laughs> I know, I know, but... that's kind of that's kind of the w- fucking ripoffs in wrestling, you know, from other pop culture or, or other wrestlers. I mean, Hulk Hogan's gimmick is is is, is borrowed a lot from uh, I think it was a superstar Billy Graham or something the guy's name was. Um, so there's been a lot of borrowing and lifting and you know stealing of gimmicks. I mean, they, for fuck's shit. sake, they had Gene Simmons, uh, the Demon wrestler, on WCW for a short period. Well, he of time. wasn't actually it wasn't actually Gene Simmons. It was a guy named uh, Dale Torborg. Right, but it was... Who, they, they, I think it was a former baseball player. Yeah, yeah it was they the used, Kiss Demon. They used his uh, face paint, though. Yeah, they called him the Kiss Demon. That's so fucking the, lame. WCW had this dumb deal with uh, Kiss, and they paid a lot of money to have Kiss do a song on, on Nitro, and it was a bomb, massive bomb. They paid a lot of money in merchandising and licensing fees for the Kiss Demon. And that was a fucking bomb. That company started out with so much promise and went downhill so fucking fast. I could Vince Russo <laughs> and politics and finger pokes of doom and <laughs> uh, just fucking David Arquette winning the, the- hey, David Arquette though, like yeah, <laughs> I think it's really kind of overrated in terms of the overall impact the David Arquette thing had on WCW. At that point in time, WCW was already like a sinking ship. I mean, they had fucking stupid uh, Judy Bagwell on a on a forklift matches prior to that, and all this other dumb shit. So uh, you know, Vince Russo winning the title in a cage match because he fell outside the cage, but he got speared through the cage. But technically, since he was the first guy out of the cage because he was speared through the cage. He somehow wins the title because he was the first guy out of the cage. Um, but it's just dumb. But God damn it, did, did I like in like ninety seven to, to like ninety nine? I watched that shit religiously. Well, the NWO also the India the New World Order was awesome. It was lightning in a bottle, and then they just fucking tried to package it and repackage it and just. It lost all its luster. Feels like at know, some point, N- like everyone NWO Wolfpack, the NWO whatever. It's just like then they then then they had the LWO, yeah. the Luchador World yes. Order or Latino World yeah. Order, or whatever. Uh-huh. And uh, yeah, I mean, it, literally at one point, it seemed like everybody in the WCW was either in Wolfpack or NWO. Yeah, like yeah. everyone started joining, and it was just so. And then you had the whole thing. They had Goldberg; he was a hit, and then they screwed him. They screwed him because of the whole 
uh, way that he lost his undefeated streak. It was just politics with Kevin Nash. So yeah, that's a there's a interesting. I forgot the name of the book, but I think it's called The Rise and Fall of WCW. I read that. Yeah. Well, I listened to it on audiobook, but whatever. Hey, technically, I guess you could technically say. I hate saying I read a book when I li- yeah. listen to it on audiobook, but yeah, it's like I mean, yeah, I yeah. consume the same information, you know. Yeah. But it's it's just easier to yeah. say I read it than to be like I listened to it on audible.com on my iPhone. It's just easier for me to say, yeah, I read it. Yeah. Um but yeah, so, anyway, uh, that's you did a uh, another ranking list, didn't you? Yeah, my YouTube channel is uh youtube.com slash dancing with ghosts. That's youtube.com slash dancing with ghosts. And I did a ranking video of all the Peter Gabriel albums from S tier to the D tier. And honestly, Peter Gabriel, a former frontman of Genesis, he did not release a bunch of garbage, so there's really only one album I put in the D tier, only because I was unfamiliar with the album, and not because it was actually bad. Uh, Peter Gabriel... Even the one with that music video that you don't like? Yeah, the video is awful, but the song is good, in my opinion, and the album yeah. is great. So, uh, Peter Gabriel, he he... His output... He's more than just a sledgehammer. Yeah, guy. yeah. I mean, that's the... That would be... I mean, if... He's like a real artist, uh, and and the fact that he had a hit was kind of a lark. He's not a guy who like chases that kind of thing. Um, I mean, you can tell that because he never really tried to replicate it. Now people say, "Oh, Steam is a, uh, you know, that's the the sequel to Sledgehammer," but it's it's really not. It sounds completely different. Just because it has a funk groove, they want to conflate it to Sledgehammer. But I mean, he also did Big Time, which I think also was pretty big. I think yeah, Big Time. It, it had that uh, that like the funky kind of pop groove to it. But li- literally, the lyrics are about how full of shit everyone uh, in in Hollywood is, pretty much. Or <laughs> you know, anyone who yeah. who gets too big for their britches, he's basically mocking them. Yeah. So it's like you know. Uh, y- y- he he ruse the whole fame and celebrity bullshit. He's not about that. He's just he's a he's a real artist and I'm really an- It's like the money for nothing song like that was similar in that Yeah, in that, that was regard. uh uh what the fucking lead singer of Dire Straits, I forget his fucking name. Um Knopfler? Yeah, Mark Knopfler. Uh he overheard some guy at a department store watching MTV and the guy in the department store is basically just bashing these these rock stars, you know, the line about yeah. like uh like was that little that, that know, little faggot with the zone yeah. jet airplane, that little faggot, he's a millionaire yeah. or whatever cuz I mean that was yeah. a, the attitude like that ain't working, that's the way you do it, get your money for nothing and your checks for free, you know, saying like I thought he said chicks yeah, my yeah, maybe chicks. Yeah, uh, it, I thought it was checks, but checks makes checks makes more sense than it, chicks. It could be either or, but yeah, I mean, it was basically the blue collar guys' view of what rock stars were back then. They were just these little prissy little, you know, sissies who never really worked. Oh, you got a little callus on your finger, a little callus on your thumb. That's the most yeah. that you that you'll get, you know, from being a rock star as far as like you know whatever so yeah but anyway that was the last video i did i do a lot of music related stuff um the the video i did before that 
was uh, about OK Go, the band that Gimmicks built, and I just basically go into how I feel like they're mainly a gimmick-based band. And I do a bunch of videos like that while I'll do explorations. I'm thinking... And they give off dad vibes. Oh, yeah, the, the, the dad vibes are, are hard with that one. Uh, the video I think I'm going to do tonight after I get off the podcast is uh, Billie Eilish is already releasing like a memoir... And I Whoa. and I feel I need to rant on that because the bitch is like 19 years old. Yeah, it's like, like what, what? I feel you on that. Uh, so yeah, I think that's gonna be my next video. Um, what are you gonna write a memoir? <laughs> dude, I have more of a right to write a memoir than she does, and mine would be more interesting because there's a lot more failure in my memoir than would be in hers. Because uh, I mean, you know. Yeah, I like to hear more about the failures and and the and the the uh, crashes and burns. I like hearing about that more than I do. Oh my god, I got so successful and made so much money, and my album went to number one. And I want I want to hear about when you hit rock bottom. That's what I want to hear about. Well, she probably had has some experiences, but yeah, it kind of gives it gives off uh, YouTuber memoir vibes. Yeah, those are all pretty yeah. infamously horrible. Like uh, Jake Paul's memoir, or you know, some of these other YouTubers who are like also around the same age as Billie Eilish. Yeah, I might even mention, I might even uh, bring that up, the whole YouTuber memoir thing, and kind of compare that. But yeah, all right. Anyway, uh, that's the podcast for this week. Until um, next week, have a good rest of your week or something. I don't know. Fuck off. See ya.